What's up, everybody? My name is James York, and this is the B Podcast. The story behind the name B is that I'm a hip hop head, and Common's album B is my favorite album of all time. It is a timeless album about life and stepping into who you really are. That's what this podcast is all about to just be. Be you, be great, be the best version of yourself. Over the years, I've read hundreds of books and articles on self-help and becoming the very best version of myself. I've had over a thousand hours of therapy and coaching, and as I go through this personal journey of becoming my highest self, I want to invite you to join me. Together, we will learn and grow each day, mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, and emotionally, all while showing compassion and empathy to others, having some fun along the way. I'm no expert, but if I can learn something new and help you to grow, that's what I intend to do. Thank you for listening to the Beat Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is James York with the Beat Podcast. I got a special guest with me today. Adrian Langdon is with me. I'm so excited. He is a therapist. He is a father. He is a husband. He is a mental health advocate and a mental health professional. I want to give him a couple of minutes to just introduce himself and, you know, welcome him to the B community. Adrian. Hey, how's it going, James? How's it going, man? I am, uh, Excited to be on with you. Excited to be on with the B community here. Um, I have uh, been uh, had the privilege of listening to a couple of the podcasts here. And I like I like what you're doing, what you're trying to accomplish. It seems to be bringing a um, a fresh take, um, a needed take to uh, a community that needs it. You know, for anyone, but definitely you know amongst minorities. Uh, like I I just I'm just really happy for what you're doing, man. And just consider a privilege to be on. Man, I appreciate that so much, like coming from you. Um, and, you know, I'm going to get right into it because I, I, I know sure. you're a man that, that has a lot of things going on and I value your time very much. So I wanted yeah. to ask you, how did you end up as a therapist? How did you get into the mental mm-hmm. health field? All right. That's that's a good question. So I'll I'll here's what I will say, man. You know, there are there are things that you get into and there are things that get into you. Um, and there's, I would almost say, this is something that has been a part of me before I was doing it, right? I, um, before getting towards, uh, getting to university and getting to college there, my, I was that person who enjoyed talking to the friends, right? To kind of help them process through an idea. Um, 30 minutes or an hour, didn't really matter what it was. Uh, I noticed it was something that, gave me energy, gave me life, helping people succeed just seemed to, you know, 11 year old me still had that in me. Uh, Then when I got, so when I, when I was going to college and trying to decide what to do, uh, I remember thinking like, well, I don't know yet what I want to do, but I know what I find interest in. And the idea of psychology, I'm like, man, psychology is something that interests me. So I'm going to go and I'm going to study it and study psychology. And my senior year is when I realized that I still love psychology. I just didn't personally want to be a psychologist. Um, And what that meant at that time, you know, when I talked to my professor senior year and he was like, listen, this 
this is the lane that a psychologist sits in uh, when it comes to research and when it comes to therapy and testing. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I had, uh, I, I have a personality type that likes to explore options and possibilities. And the idea of it felt too narrow for me. Um, so, you know, I finished off, I got my, you know, got my BS in psychology. And then after that year, you know, kind of took some time and I was saying, okay, what do I want to do? And, you know, at that point, I was drawn to getting my master's in social work because it still gave me the option to do one-on-one -on -one in person therapy, but then gave me the option to get into the community as I needed to, um, to use those same skills or um, work within the juvenile justice system um, there, however needed. It gave me the opportunity to be in schools um, in a very, um, in, a, in a way that lets me use my personality, that, that works for me. So my first seven years, I was doing what's called a home-based therapist, which means uh, I was going into homes and doing therapy anywhere from two to five hours with uh, some of the most intense cases. Um, and in that opportunity, I could meet with you in your home. I could meet with you in a, in a school. I could meet with you at a YMCA, you know, where, whatever needed to do. I felt, I felt like the special forces, uh, you know, saying go behind enemy lines and get to you wherever we need to to help you progress. So coming out of that, man, it's, I knew that I'd found my place. I found my calling. But to be perfectly honest, it had found me years before. I was just walking in it. That's, that's so dope. I have a podcast right before this one, this episode, I talk about purpose and I mm -hmm. talk about the meaning behind purpose and how you feel when you're walking in purpose, how it energizes you. And you just mm -hmm. spoke on that, how you, mm -hmm. you felt that energy when you were, you know, talking to people, when you were hearing about their issues, when you were inspiring them. And yes, that's so big for people that's mm -hmm. listening, you know, to understand their calling because it called you before mm -hmm. you even knew it. So that that's very interesting. Like, can you tell the people who don't know the difference between a therapist yeah. and a psychiatrist or a psychologist? Yes, sir. All right. So the way to look at that is so the psychiatrist that is that's the MD, right? So when you're going to get your uh, your your drugs, your drogas, you know, for my um, Hispanics listening, you know, we got. Uh, you, if you're going to get that, it's it's going to be all, all the mental health medications, psychotropic drugs. You know, that, that's where your Adderall comes from. Uh, technically, you can also get that from a, from your medical doctor. But your medical doctor will get the most basic and generic forms. Um, but your psychiatrist is the person who goes to med school and, and really specializes in understanding how those medications work with the mind. Now, a therapist is really anybody who... Uh, a therapist can be a psychologist, can be a can ha uh, a social worker, can be a uh, master's uh, in uh, uh, master's in counseling. You can have all of those people can fit under being a therapist. Um, but the difference is a psychologist uh, who goes all the way up to a PhD. They're the person who does like your research and uh, your testing. Those are the two big differences. They'll do research. And then they do your, you know, testing when you want to get tested for different things. Um, but as far as therapy goes, anybody that you sit across from that is licensed to counsel you and work you through an issue, it would be classified as a therapist. That, that definitely breaks it down for me. What do you think your biggest challenge has been 
in mental health, like as, as you've been in this mental health field? Hmm. I think the biggest challenge for me uh, has been helping people work through and get past their negative connotations. You know, the stigmas, uh, that's been the challenge. You know, at first, the one reason I didn't want to be a social worker was because at that time, the number one connection with social workers, and I was working in, you know, I'm saying I was, you know, I was working in what they call an urban area. You know what I'm saying? I was working in uh, Benton Harbor at that time, uh, which had, I know in the, like the 90s, early 2000s, had like the highest murder rate per capita. Um, and during that time, the only thing they know social workers to do is come get your kids. You know what I'm saying? Like if a social worker shows up, he's trying to take your children from you. So for a lot of people that, you know, I was getting a lot of side eyes walking into a home, getting a lot of side eyes like, yeah, I need your help with my family but can I really trust you? You know what I'm saying? So I think probably the biggest challenge that I had to face was just building trust and helping people take a completely different view of mental health in general. That's great. How do you think that minorities have accepted mental health, I guess in the past decade mm-hmm. um, that you've been a therapist compared mm-hmm. to like when you first began? Yeah, dude, I'm noticing an increase just across the board. Um, a careful, watchful, suspicious increase, but an increase nevertheless. Um, and not just what I'm hearing from a lot of, let's say the younger generation, you know, millennials um, were probably the first group that I, I get to hear a lot of the, you know, my parents never really believed in this, but I realize I need to do this for myself. You know, a lot of people are saying, I mean, hey, you know, when I was younger, I, I, was, I wanted, you know, as a teenager, and I was talking about wanting to commit suicide. And my parents were like, man, stop that. Your life is fine. You have nothing to complain about. Look, you have this, you have that. Stop it. You know, people in this life have, you know, they, they always, parents always just turn to Africa. You know, there are children in Africa who don't, you know, it's always like, oh, okay, you're right. Yeah, who don't know where their next meal comes from, right? Is that whole deal? Um, so what they learned to do was to just swallow their problems and push them way, 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 way down. Um, but I think over the years, they've, you know, hit your 20s, hit your 30s and you start to realize like, hold on, if I'm gonna wanna break some of these curses, if I'm gonna wanna have a healthy relationship, if I don't wanna pass down the same abusive patterns that were given to me as a child, I'm gonna have to do something about it. Um, So I've noticed the increase there. And to be honest, for that reason, I'm also getting people who are now in their 50s, right? Like people in their 50s and 60s who are like, look, I always, I was the one who saw the problem with it. I'm the person told my kids was not, they shouldn't have. But I'm realizing now that I've had four, I've lived with depression for 40 years. Like that's the kind of statement I heard from someone this week, right? I've carried depression for 40 years and I feel like now is enough. Now is the time I want to break that. And my heart broke that they carried, they felt like they had to carry it that long because, you know what I'm saying? Black black people don't need, uh, don't need, don't need therapy, right? That time's like, you just need a little prayer and a good butt whooping and you, uh, you know, that should be all it takes. But I think more people are realizing Hey, I go to a doctor for when I'm, when my body hurts, when my mind and my heart hurts, there, there are doctors out there for that too. That's so deep on so many different levels. And I can definitely resonate with that in my journey in therapy and, mm. you know, just starting out, I'm still going weekly, mm. you know, and it's been two years now and how it's affected me. 
But <laughs> why do you think it's harder for blacks, for marginalized communities, communities of color to seek help in the first place? <laughs> uh, 450 years of uh, slavery and Jim Crow die hard, man. So like you, you learn not to trust systems, you know what I'm saying? And it, like, you know, some of those things were quote unquote a long time ago, but I mean, you know, I, I tell people when they sometimes tell me like, you know, why, why do people still bring these things up or still blame this? And I'm like, Hey, look, my father and your father wouldn't have been able to drink at the same water fountain as kids. Right? Like that's, it's not as long ago as you think, you know what I'm saying? So that, that gets passed along to a generation, those fears, those concerns, um, that the system's not for you, it's against you. Um, and you know, we're all taught, you know, you gotta, you gotta be a, you have to be strong as a minority, right? That's, that's just the, the thought, right? To make it, you gotta be strong. So seeing a therapist is admitting you're not strong enough to handle it yourself. So it, it means you're weak, right? That, that's the flip side. So I think that's, that's the struggle, you know, growing up is that you, in order to do that for minority, you have to admit weakness in a culture that says weakness will get you crushed. Uh, but, you know, what I tell people when they come to see me is saying, you know, you being strong enough to face your weakest parts is stronger than anybody else who's telling you, you know, hold up your wall. The people holding up their walls are saying, I'm too scared to let it down because I don't know what would happen if I was to open up. So somebody going to a therapist and saying, I want to open up. Nah, that's the strong, strongest thing you could do, man. Because you're saying, I'm putting down my armor. Or I want to learn to put down my armor so I can kind of take some direct shots here. So, man, I, my, 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 my hat tips to every single person who says, okay, I'm willing to make that move. Yeah, I think vulnerability is definitely like the first step. And, and that's one of the first things I learned in therapy is to just mm. be open, be vulnerable, because that's the only way that we'll be able to heal is by yeah. revealing what we actually are going through. Because keeping it all in, you know, is just holding on to that toxic, that poison, and it's Come just on. gonna go out in other areas of your life. So, yeah, I can <laughs> definitely resonate with that. Yo, here's here's the here's the analogy I like to think of, right? Like, um, you know, I'm growing up sometime when a mama would tell you, you know, go up and clean your room. And you're like, yo, well, I want to go out and play basketball with with the fellas, you know? And it's like, well. You ain't going nowhere till your room's clean, right? You have all that stuff on the ground. You just take it and just stuff it in the closet, stuff it in the closet. So you kind of stuff it on the bed and you kind of get as much of your closet. Even have a closet door just barely closes and it's like, ugh, mm -hmm. you just get it closed, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, it's clean. And a person sees it and it does look clean, right? But then ma mama comes up to the door or somebody's sister comes to the door or girlfriend comes over to the door and opens it and all that stuff spills on her. Right? And she's like, whoa, where, where did that come from? Right? All stuff falls on it. And you're like, well, it's your fault for opening the door. Mm. Nah, nah. To be honest, all that stuff spilled on you because I didn't find a place to put it. Right? Right. I stuffed it all in some place because I believe that's what I was supposed to do. I wasn't willing to be vulnerable. But when the time came when I had people who were close enough to my door to open it, it always comes spilling out on them. You know what I'm saying? And I don't mean for it to. And that's why you kind of sit there like, Yo, I'm so sorry. I don't know why. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I was triggered by that. Because we didn't take the time to heal that and put everything in its right place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, How man. has it been 
for you as a black man in mental health? How have you been received in this profession that's predominantly white, you know, across the board? So I would say in this profession, even more than it being white, it's actually more female dominated. Hmm. So even though in the movies growing up, there were, it was always, you always saw the, the picture of the, the man, the, the German man, uh, you know, with the glasses, you know, with his legs. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, with the sweater vest. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you lie on the couch while he, while he hypnotizes you and whatever the case may be. Um, over time, to be honest, like when I go to any mental health conference, to be honest, it's, I mean, uh, if there's a thousand people in the room, uh, I'd say, I don't know, maybe 80 of us are male, maybe 100, and, not, and out of the black males, I mean, like 15 or 20 of us, you know, and they're walking down, everyone's doing the head nod, like, yo, I see you, bro, I see you, bro, right? Because you know you're the only ones, right? That's, so I'd say initially, so if I'm gonna be honest and transparent, Initially, it was something that I had to work through, meaning that I saw it as a weakness to overcome, if that makes sense, right? Like, uh, you know, hopefully they'll appreciate me uh, in, spite of my, in spite of me being a black male, right? Um, you know, and I had, you know, I had people at, you know, jobs when I first started in the most respectful way tell me like, hey, you know, we're gonna get get you started. We're gonna try to get you some clients, but you know, maybe a little slow going getting you clients because you know, most people, you know, would like to see a woman. You know, the men would like to see women because it's less threatening, and the women would like to see women, and the mothers would like to see women. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I got it. So, like, it might be kind of hard for you, um, but I decided to just say I'm just going to own who I am and just be my authentic self. And to be honest, what started happening was I started getting a lot of people seeking me out. Like, hey, I would like, I would like, I live however far from you, but you're the only black male I can find in 40 miles. Are, are you willing to see my son? Or a husband, like, hey, look, my wife told me I gotta see somebody, but I ain't about to see so and so and so and so. So do you have any openings, right? So the thing that other people were telling me was my weakness actually became my strength. You know what I'm saying? So. I think what I what I've just learned as a black male, like even if they tell you that who you are is um, something that's going to hold you back, when you know who you are, it becomes your greatest strength. Yeah, I think it's Charlemagne that says, "God, you when you you yeah Charlemagne the guy when he says when you know yeah. who you are, they can never Facts. use that against you." You know, and you reveal that truth of who you are. You step into it with yeah. your wholeness. And like you said, that became yes, your sir. superpower. What they thought was your weakness. It became one of your greatest attributes to be able to relate to men in our community that look like you, yes, that sir. talk like you, that have yes, your sir. culture, who can understand the yes, vernacular, sir. the way you walk, talk, yes, and, and feel. So, you know, that, yeah, you, you preach it. And here's, here's, a, here's a piece I'll just add to that when you talk about uh, the example I would like to use, like, about knowing who you are. It's like if I say to you, um, you know, if I was teasing you and I was trying to put you down and I'm like, look at you, James, you're a, you're a six foot nine, blonde, blue haired, white woman. Ha ha. Ha. You wouldn't feel bad about that. Right. You'd be kind of like, what What's like, that's not an insult. Like, it's just not, it's not true. Right. You look in the mirror, you just know that's not true. 
so it's the same thing that happens with our other parts. The reason that other people are able to use things against us is because we're not, we're kind of like wondering, well, is it true what they say about who I am? And that's because we don't know those parts about us, right? Like you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You aren't strong enough. You're not wise enough. You're not old enough. You're not young. Like those things you kind of, those are doubts that you have about yourself that you don't know, you haven't worked through. But once you work through those other parts, it sounds just as silly as me calling you an eight foot Asian woman, right? You feel just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know who that was for, but that's not me. So whatever, bye. You know what I mean? Exactly. The the analogy um, I like is the, the eight mile rabbit, be rabbit and eight yeah, mile. Yeah, yeah. He uses everything that they were going to yep. say against him on yeah. himself and wins the rap battle because the guy didn't have yeah. anything else to say. He owned it up. You know what, what else you, you got to say, say, Clarence? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. But so a deeper okay. question for you is who is the therapist that the therapist mm-hmm. can go to? Who do you go to when you have issues? Huh. All right. That's a good question. So... Um, I say if any therapists is listening, are listening, the first thing you can do is find a therapist. Uh, for me personally, I've had a therapist uh, at different times. Uh, my, my life schedule sometimes has made it hard to find someone consistent. Um, so, but what I do have, um, I have extremely safe spaces. So um, that means, you know, when I, I have a, uh, a supervisor that I, uh, when I was, you know, doing my initial training, someone that, you know, when I was before getting licensed was someone you have, you got to have a supervisor that you go through and kind of helps you through some of those things. Um, those, that's someone I could still turn to for advice when it's professional or to kind of talk about things when it's professional. Um, I also uh, married a therapist, so that helps too. Uh, however, just if, <laughs> in case anybody misses that, your your spouse is not your therapist. Uh, the second you try to do that, you put them in a place that that they can't succeed at. Um, but then I also got uh, in my community. I got about two friends that that are a place where they can know every part of me, and I I feel safe enough to process that. I don't have to be their therapist. My personality type is one that is a therapist for everyone else. If that makes sense. Uh, but I make sure I have about one or two friends where in that place, I can just be open and I have my place to work through things. But if you don't have that, just get a therapist. You know what I'm saying? Sounds like you got a pretty good try. Yeah. You know, you mentioned those safe yeah. spaces. Like that's, that's incredible to have, especially in your role, being that you deal with um, so much mental strain mm-hmm. on a daily basis, just putting it, you know, yeah, like that. So yeah, I, I applaud you yeah, for having that. You got, you got to. That's the only way you survive, man. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we do that. The wife will come home and be like, hey, I need to chat. Like, I just need to work through some things. Or I might come and like, say, I just need to work through some things. And she's like, okay. Which means she's going to turn off maybe some of the emotional wife stuff for a little bit. Right? And just kind of like, hey, here's your space. Do what you need. And sometimes, you know, she'll say, hey, I need to talk, blah, blah. And I'll say, Hey, look, I don't really have a lot of space right now. And she knows that means maybe I'm carrying a lot of stuff. I had a full day where I carried a lot of different things or the last thing I left with was really, really, really heavy um, or I'm tired. And I'm like, hey, I can't give you what you need. 
but to be honest, that doesn't happen as much because I've learned how to take better care of myself. I've learned how to pace myself better, right? That I can, I have enough room in my schedule to take another 15 clients, uh, which, which helps the income and, you know, I enjoy doing it. However, that extra 15 clients would stop me from being able to be present for my wife and for my kids. You know, my firstborn would come to me and I'm like, hey, daddy doesn't have time now, right? That's, that's not what I want. So if I want to be able to be present, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually and mentally for my family, that means I've got to manage my schedule as such. And does that mean that I don't get to be on the cover of Essence Magazine as you know, the, the top ther- top black therapist of the year or whatever the case may be, possibly. That might mean that. But, I mean, to be honest, if the only person's cover I want to be the head of is, is my family. So I want my boy to be like, the, oh, top on my list, number one is my pops. So if I win that at the end of my time, man, that's – everyone else can keep the magazines, man. They Because, to be honest, the first time I slip up, they're going to move on to the next person anyways. And that's a great segue into my next question. Like, how do you think that being a therapist has helped your relationship and you as a Mm. father? (sighs) To be be honest, uh, I think, well, when I first started, the first uh, seven years was working as um, in the children and family department. So, uh, you know, all I was doing was helping some of the kids facing the most challenges in ages everywhere from three years old to 17, right? That was my age group and then their parents. Um, and just going through that, helping them to see the mind of a, of a five-year-old and a six-year-old and a seven and an eight and a nine and a 10 and 11. And some of them I kept for seven years, right? You just kind of, you get to see them develop through all the stages. You start to learn that, well, well, everybody functions differently, right? There is no one size fits all for, for kids. Uh, so I can't just take well, this is what my father did. And I'm just going to put that on the next person. Like, no, I'm going to have to be flexible to meet needs. So I think my experiences, um, they've sometimes opened my eyes. Like I'll, I'll sometimes, you know, I'll leave a session and kind of say, you know, I just kind of come out and just, you know, pull in my boy and give him a hug. And he's like, what? I'm like, nothing, man. You know, I, you know, I, I, I know I just, I love you. We good. Right. And that'll come from, you know, maybe I'm talking to a nine year old who says like, hey, my my pops doesn't care. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, well, he's here. He's like, no, he's here. He doesn't care. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, I don't want I don't want my boy to think that like I do love him. But I realize now that they need, I've got to, I've got to say it. I've got to show it. Uh, doesn't matter what I buy him. Eventually, he's going to be like, yeah, no, I, I'll take your presence over that. So. It just helped. It's reminding me to be more present, man. Man, that's incredible. Like, it forces you to be, like, there and in that yeah. moment. Like, those traumatic situations that you may hear about from yeah. other people put you in the mindset of, like, yo, I got to value yeah. what I got. That's that's dope. I think if there was a lot of careers out there that made people do that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yo, it, it, like, so first. I think that I think the issue is being present. What you just said, man, like if we could all just be more present with our stuff, right? Like doctors talk to people all the time about being healthy and go out and smoke in the back, right? That, look, that yeah. that's no judgment. I'm not casting any aspersion upon uh, doctors. I'm saying be, beating cigarettes, it's hard to do. Nicotine is a, is a beast, you know what I mean? 
But just the same way, there are a lot of therapists who tell people to treat their families right, and they don't. There are a lot of pastors who talk about how to treat other people and their the lives they live. I mean, they go home and their, their family's like, I don't know who preaches on that stage every weekend, but that's not who comes home to me. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I'm, I decided to let my experiences, I've decided, I've been trying to be intentional about letting my experience cause me to be a better man if I can. Does it always work? I don't know, but I'm, that's, that's what I'm chasing after, man. Man, always in the pursuit of growth. That's, Come that's on. what I love. What's one thing you would tell someone starting their therapy journey today? That it's a journey. It's a journey. That's, I think that's what I tell them. Uh, value the process. You know, most change happens in the process, but I think most of us, we get, well, most of us, man, we get obsessed with the destination. Uh, but change and growth happens in the process. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just, uh, you know, every quote-unquote overnight success, most overnight successes put a lot of work before their overnight success. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. But the process is what gets you ready. You know, the yeah, depending on the age of, uh, of, your, of your B community, uh, they may or may not know that once upon a time, pictures used to have to be developed. You had to develop roles, right? Uh, and that joint used to have to be done in... You know, you'd have to do it in, in, in the room, right? You'd have to go into that photo room under dark light. And in that room is where the picture would develop. But you, it needs that time to develop sometimes in the darkness where nobody else sees it, right? And it's like, but I took the picture because I want to show the picture, right? I want to be on display. It's like, yeah, I'm not saying that can't happen, but there, there's, a, there's a process between that that gets you just right. So that when you're ready to kind of come out to the light, uh, you're ready to shine. So don't, don't just get focused on the light. Just invest in the process, man. And whenever whenever the thing comes to you, you you just be ready for it, man, because you know you put in the work. You did the 100 jumpers every day, you know what I'm saying, or the 1,000 jumpers uh, like Kobe and MJ, right? So when they were called off the bench, I mean, Kobe had that air ball in the playoffs. But I mean, for the most part, for the most part, right? You know, RIP, Kobe's, you know, there's, for the most part, like you put in the work, man, and you, when the time comes, you'll be ready. No, I love that analogy about the dark room mm. and the photo. That, mm. That's a brilliant analogy. How would you assist someone in finding the right therapist? <laughs> uh, how how would you assist someone in in finding the right um the right uh boyfriend or girlfriend? Right. The, I think it's it's the same thing, man. I'll tell you initially. Uh, so I can almost let's see. I'm I'm gonna take this analogy, see if it rocks together. So. Just like finding the right um, boyfriend or girlfriend, right now you start online. You know what I'm saying? You do your search. You do some research online, whether that's, uh, you know, a dating site or social media. You, you know, you go, you stalk certain certain people. No, nah, stalk is probably not the right word to use. You do research. <laughs> you gain information on folk. Um, and really, you can go Google therapists in my area and you see a picture and a picture gives you good vibe. And you read the bio just like you would of a person and... You kind of read what they say about themselves and go, hmm, all right, that seems like it might be a good fit. Um, then you can feel free from there. Like, you don't have to commit to anybody right off the bat. You, hey, let's go on a date, right? Like, hey, let's talk on the phone. And you can call a therapist, say, hey, I want to do a phone consult to see, like, if we're a good fit or not. Then from there, you can meet. If after your second or third time, you don't see a good fit, 
move on. Try again. And don't give up on the process. You don't give up on dating it because you dated somebody two or three times that didn't work. But a lot of people, they're like, because it takes them so much to get into therapy, if after their second or third time, they don't like the process, they write off the entire process. Um, but that, that's this it's a therapy. It's called a therapeutic relationship more than um, more than learning, more than the skills and expertise of a therapist. So this this has been studied and researched more than the skills and actual expertise and knowledge and tools of a therapist. The number one correlation for the success of a client is therapeutic relationship. If you do not, if you and your therapist don't get along, they could have nine degrees from Harvard and Princeton and Yale, and you're not going to find any results. And if you, you meet with a life coach who's wise and has done, I don't know, six months to get a certificate and you have a really good relationship and you trust their perspective, your whole life could be changed. You know what I'm saying? So, um, give yourself time to find a relationship just like you would if you were dating. And if you're saying, I don't know what to do with the dating part, that's a whole nother conversation. You know, you can, you can find me, we'll, we'll get connected. <laughs> no, I, I love how you broke down that therapeutic relationship because that's so mm. important. And I noticed that in my journey in mm. therapy, how important that was to be able to talk to somebody who sees mm. you, who hears you, who understands the language that you speak. Mm. And for anybody out there that's listening, I hope you understand exactly what Adrian is saying in that when you're trying to find a therapist, because a lot of people come to me and ask, you know, how did you find the right therapist for you? And how do I find a therapist? It took me three therapists mm -hmm. to find the right therapist. Mm -hmm. You're not, you may not get the right therapist on the first try, but just like you say, you have to keep yeah. going. You can't give mm -hmm. up. So um, very important for that. Thank you for no sharing. Problem. Um, so we're going to shift gears just a little Sorry. bit, and I'm going to have you put your therapist uh -oh. hat on just for a moment, if uh -oh. that's okay. So just scenario-based, how do you help someone who is lost and trying to find their way back? They're, you know, they're going through depression. Mm. They've just been hit with tragedy, mm. and you know they're just at rock mm. bottom. Help someone who hits, who's hitting rock bottom. Uh, so I think the... So, let, let me speak to what the therapeutic process is and what it isn't. Um, I think, you know, if you haven't done therapy or if you're, <laughs> look, I'm just gonna come out and say it. If you are with, in my opinion, a poor therapist, so if you either haven't done it or you're with a poor therapist, then what you picture therapy to be is what the therapists on TV are, right? Um, what Dr. Phil is, you know, somebody who's just giving you advice telling you what to do what you need to do find a way to, to change your life you'll need to learn to you know buck up you know you'll never catch the the wings on a fly's back by whatever you saying or you know you know saying he comes with like our thought is we find a therapist just keeps telling us what to do and um that's not therapy now coaching is, a, is an aspect of that right but if you're talking therapy um you're not going to someone just to tell you what to do now you're not just going to with somebody who just sits here while you talk the whole time either. But what what we're supposed to be doing is what's called guided discovery. My expertise, my training is supposed to say, there's somewhere I'm trying to help you get to, somewhere that you want to get to. And I'm gonna ask the right questions. I'm gonna make the right statements. I should be able to guide you 
who's the expert on you to where you need to get to. So when I'm meeting with somebody who's depressed, my first thing is to find out, you know, we're, we're looking to, we're looking to find hope that when I'm in day one, I'm looking to first understand where you're coming from. But I recognize that when you came and you showed up here, however you got here, the thing you're looking for is hope. Uh, so if I can even give you a sliver of hope in that first step, that's what I'm trying to find. And the way that we find hope is, okay, what, what would you like to see things look like? Right? And somebody's will say, well, I mean, I already know, or I know it's not possible or, but Hey, let's, let's, let's turn on that parts of our brain that just can dream just a little, whatever you have left that'll let you do that. Find that. Um, and usually that little picture, um, we spend the rest of our time trying to magnify it. We're giving you tools. I'm giving you, I'm giving you time to process. I'm, I'm helping you not avoid the parts of it, the parts that you were scared to look under, right? Like the things that make us anxious a lot of times, uh, it's a monster under the bed. Um, uh, and I get that. I'm not making light of that. Uh, but sometimes what we have to do is, uh, I try to give people confidence to say, Hey, let's look under the, let's look under the bed together. I'm here. Let's turn on the light. And sometimes we turn it on and they're kind of like, Oh, it was my teddy bear or it was a blanket or it was, it was kind of scary but it wasn't as scary as what I thought was under the bed. You know, this feels almost manageable. Um, so that, that to me is what, what the process is. It's saying, hey, you're not alone. We're going to go through it together and we're just going to take it piece by piece. You know, you may not be, even though you may not be able, you do have the skills to do. It's in you. It, you are enough to get through this. Um, but sometimes we're so close to it. We're so embroiled in it that it just, it feels overwhelming. It feels too much. So you almost need someone to help you organize, to help you say, hey, look, Hey, let, let's just take this piece. Can we do this piece? And the person says, okay, yeah, I can do that. Right? Just like you're trying to lose weight. Somebody not saying, well, let's just lose 200 pounds. Right? You're like, well, duh. I mean, if, oh, why don't I just get a six pack? Why don't I just stop eating donuts? Yeah, good <laughs> idea. Right? Like, yes, but it's kind of like, okay, we may not be able to do that, but what can we do? And then it's kind of like we celebrate that step and then move to the next and move to the next. And each little dopamine hit you get from um, each small step you can accomplish slowly pulls you out and sometimes it requires medication as well too sometimes you just have to especially initially you have to stop the bleeding stop the bleeding enough to be able to take in the information and get the right tools and you know you often i think more often than not but it's not a good or bad thing so that's why i'm trying to be careful but many times that's the right word many times you work to the place where you no longer need the medication but if you do there's nothing wrong with that either, right? It's just like people have asthma. Like sometimes you get to places where they no longer need their inhaler. Some people do. That doesn't make one person good or the other person bad. You, you, you do what you do to be the best version of yourself. Period. Right. That's a great answer, and I love how you mentioned hope. I volunteer for an organization called Hope for mm -hmm. the Day, and one of their models is just like just having that hope, just that slither of mm -hmm. hope to get you through the day. And they're all about, you know, suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the biggest factors of getting people to not try to kill themselves mm -hmm. is just having the hope that things will sure. get better. You know, cause that, when they lose that, it, that's when things can mm -hmm. go bad for people. And also organizing those thoughts because we have a billion thoughts that go through our brain a day and we have jobs and 
you know, relationships yeah. and kids yeah. and responsibilities and just putting those thoughts out there, speaking mm-hmm. them and having someone who understands be able to verbalize what we're yeah. going through it is really is really insightful. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the, one of the things that helped me the most to grow in therapy is to be able to put those thoughts out there and create that self-awareness through therapy. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. To your to your hope idea, I love I love what you what you said there about you know their their motto and their direction, um, and it's 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 spot on right there. Um, I remember um, speaking to a neuropsychologist. You know, this was when the research was kind of just picking up more. So about a little about ten years ago, it's always stuck with me. He said that the part of our brain that experiences fear is uh, the amygdala right here, um, and he said that part experience experiences fear, and they started noticing as they're being testing when someone is anxious or fearful it's just kind of like it's just lighting up on all the brain scans and now there's a part a part of your brain that it, that experiences hope uh, when you're talking about something that is hopeful something about your future you talk about your son graduating uh, college and about to you know start his first job or your daughter getting married or whatever the case may be and another part of your brain would light up when you start talking about the things that were hopeful and the thing they started to notice was the area of your brain that experiences hope, when that would start to light up, the parts of the experience, the brain that experiences fear would not be lighting up. So you have someone who had anxiety, and as soon as you're talking about something that is hopeful, the part of your brain that, that dealt with anxiety wasn't lighting up. So almost like your brain is not able to experience hope and fear at the same time. So for us, the idea of if we can grasp hope, and it's sometimes easier said than done, um, but it's, it's trying to find a way to add the idea of hope into therapy um, so that the thing that dominates is hope and fear has to wait its turn. The less time you give it, the more it starts to starve. Oh, that's good. That's real good. That makes me think of this one sermon that um, it was talking about faith mm-hmm. and fear. It was like faith can't live in the same vein Facts. as fear. You can't, you can't be faithful or have faith in God and what he's yeah. going to do and be fearing what the enemy is going to do at the same time. So, yeah, that's yeah, incredible. Think, you got to think about it, man. Uh, all those, uh, you know, the the early Christians or whatever that you read about in the Bible, in, well, not in the Bible, in history, they talk about, like, being burned at the stake while they're singing hymns and stuff. I've always been like, that doesn't make any sense. But you follow the science, and it actually makes a lot of sense, right? They're, they're so hopeful. They're like, I'm going to see Jesus again, right? I'm going to see God again. I'm going to or, – or people who are, you know – flying planes into buildings right they're like they have this picture of you know uh what 10 virgins and you know a lifelong like that hopeful picture makes it where death isn't even scary to them in that moment right there is no fear this is they don't experience it because they're so focused on what's hopeful for you so i mean sometimes it's used for wrong but the point is it's so powerful that it can literally short circuit the fear centers of your brain wow so in that same vein of hope, how do you work with a client that's trying to find purpose? Mm-hmm. Now, I know that therapy is the mirror and you're reverberating what it is that's already in them, but how do you help someone who's trying to seek that purpose or that cause that they're you know passionate about, but just don't know yeah. that? Well, <laughs> so, so you, you said it kind of like that wasn't some way to answer. So I gotta be careful. But at the same time, I mean, I'm the mirror, right? So uh, usually you're so close to your purpose, you can't see it. 
you know? So uh, as a mirror, I'm, uh, but you're the expert. So I don't know you well enough to tell you what your purpose is. So what, what our sessions are, it's, it's pulling out the parts of you that are so close to you. And then as I see it, I'm just constructing the picture you're putting together, right? Into this model. And then as it's saying, I'm like, hey, here's the model you just gave me. Talk to me about it. And I kind of show it to them, the mirror. I mirror it back to them. And a lot of times, you know, it's, it's noticing like, yeah, that is a gift that I had. You know, that is a strength of mine. This is something that moves me. This is something I'm passionate about. This is... I'm saying it is okay. Are those that's true? Like I'm not making it up for you. It came out of you, right? And our purpose comes out of us. Um, I have a personal belief when it comes to the word the idea of purpose that purpose can't remain internal. Um, that purpose is found, and this this sounds this is gonna sound like um, it's like fortune cookie ish or whatever, like you know, a after school specialist. Uh, but I my personal belief is that purpose is found when you're doing it for others. So the things you're passionate about, the things that move you, the things that have always been a part of you, the things that uh, stir your spirit, um, when those things are things that are actively benefiting those around you, that's purpose. And it, that's not just a hokey, like everything has to be for other people. No, what I really mean by that is where we don't feel we have a purpose is because we almost feel like if we were plucked from the world, nobody would notice, right? Almost like if we would disappear, who would care? But what purpose is, is kind of like, well, I, I can't be plucked from this world. Because if I was to be plucked from this world, what would happen to that entire community? What would happen to her and to him and to her and to him and to him and to them and to them and to them? The more thems you have, the more you feel a sense of purpose, right? So for me in therapy, for example, this isn't a job to me. This is me um, being who I am. This is me um, in in imposing my purpose on my on my world on my environment and one of the uh, uh, methods or modes i'm able to use is therapy and i feel like if i was plucked out of this world ah, what would happen to that client or oh man they would be missed man we're almost there with this person like no i gotta hold on for that right like no i got i gotta be there for that when on the days i don't feel like oh i don't feel like getting up today like no there is no i don't feel like getting up today that that nine-year-old has made so much progress. Like, no, we're, we're getting over that hump. Like, no, we're going to ride. We're going to get over that hump together. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that to me is where uh, purpose is met for me. I agree a hundred percent. And um, Jay Shetty says this, and I agree that your passion is for mm -hmm. you. Your purpose is to serve others. Mm -hmm. And, I'm not, I'm sure he's not the first person to say that or coin mm. that phrase is just where I got yeah. it from. And I'm in total agreement with that, that, and I came into therapy and I came into seeking mm -hmm. purpose with a one-sided uh, view mm. that it was just something. It was a thing mm. I had to have, mm. I had to get in order to get me to where I needed to get to be fulfilled. <laughs> for and I learned, yeah, for me, and I learned it's not for mm. me. It's something that's in yeah. me that I need to get yeah. out in order to give it to others, in order to serve. And in that process, you may have fulfillment, yeah. but it's also hard work. It's also gonna be tests, and it's also gonna be yeah. growth in that. But learning that was a part of that yeah, journey. That's so. good, man. That, you know, that's back to the earlier question you asked about the journey, right? It's it's not the destination, right? It's not a vehicle. Your, your purpose is too big to be contained by a job or by a contract 
or by XYZ sum of money, right? Like as big as Amazon is, if you were the CEO of Amazon, that's not big enough to hold your purpose. Bezos had to step down, right? Like even for Bezos that like, so does he not have purpose anymore? No, but this guy was the richest man in the world of the biggest company and still had to leave, right? Because mm. your purpose can't be contained by any amount of money or any location, right? So this to me, for example, you doing this podcast, man, this, this is you walking and living in your purpose. Does this mean, I guess my purpose is to be a podcaster? No, this is just another vehicle where you are inspiring people. You are um, getting getting what's, what's passionate and what, what moves you within out so that somebody else can be changed by it. And, you know, um, if you haven't heard it already, um, I guarantee there are people who listen who are just like, man, that, that's, made, that's made a difference in my life. You made a difference in changing my life. You changed a life, like a whole entire human being's life. You changed that by, sheer, by, by, by using this vehicle, just one of many. And this podcast can't contain you, nor will the next nor will the next project, nor will the next thing, you know what I'm saying? But but that's because I believe our purpose is bigger than any one vehicle can hold. Man, I received mm -hmm. that. I just want to take a second to receive mm -hmm. that. I, I appreciate that and I receive yes, it. Um, last couple questions. Okay. When you take your last breath, how do you want this world to, mm -hmm. to remember you? Man, um, to be honest, uh, I want I want to be remembered by the people I affected. Um, you know, from if everybody was just to point to how great I was, then I feel then that dies with me. You know what I mean? Uh, but. If the people around me, you know, like if there was a drug addict who becomes the president of a company, you know, like my son has a healthy family, you know what I'm saying? Like he just, you know, he just, he, he's, he becomes a great man and my daughter becomes a great woman and finds, you know, I guess a really good relationship and has great kids and feels whole and feels confident in her skin. And be like, yeah, you know, my my father contributed to making me the woman I am today. Like that, uh, yeah, that 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 would leave me, you know, if if I if I can watch my 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 memorial service, uh, if I heard those kind of statements as opposed to like he was awesome because this, he was awesome because of that. If I heard like, yeah, here's why my life is better because of knowing him, uh, and here's how I developed, and here's why I changed, um, and this. This whole journey, this whole thing would be worth it for you, man. Without a doubt. Oh, that's great. That's dope. That's a dope response. I don't know if you can, I don't know if we can follow that. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I, I guess I'm going to just lighten the mood with the last yeah. question. You know, what do you, what do you do in your free time? What do you do to unwind when you're not being a therapist, a super dad, yeah. um, a great husband, yeah. a friend? What do I do to unwind? Do I get to unwind? I don't know, man. I got like three jobs, bro. I, um, uh but but that being said what i do to unwind well let's see like you know i'm i'm a dallas cowboys fan so you know i get to take in some uh you know i watch watch my share of sports there you know i chair this dominant team here this as we march towards the super bowl uh you know what i'm saying i get to um a legend. <laughs> 
Yo, listen, if I go down the list of funny jokes I have here connected with the word allegedly, this this whole podcast <laughs> will take a different turn, man. It'll go from inspiring to a whole bunch of things. But anyways, let us let's let anyways, I'll leave that alone. But but yeah, I, yeah, between that, you know, whether that's whether that's sports, uh I um uh write music, um, you know, I <laughs> you know, my wife makes fun of me, like I'm I'm still in certain ways, like even in writing music or, you know, helping people do some of those things. It's, I, I teach it to other people and I, I just use it as really an excuse to get a group of people in a room that I can <laughs> pour into and live out my purpose still in certain ways. So it was like, she'll come in and like, I thought you guys were recording music. Why is he crying? Right? And I'm like, I don't know. We kind of just got into a conversation, man. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> right but like yeah no man just uh just music exercise man and just like enjoying sports or just uh being present man like i i'm uh i i used to think that the best way to live was to be able to turn off which sounds weird right like hey i'm busy i'm busy and i just want to turn off like give me a tv give me something where like i just don't have to think or whatever, like that's how I want to unwind, right? But what I realized was what that was doing was, it was just pressing pause. Like I wasn't taking on any more stress, but I actually wasn't putting anything in. Um, so now what I'm learning is that even though initially it feels like work to pick up a book or read in a moment like that, or listen to something positive or to, hey daddy, come play with me. I'm like, nah, man, no, like I just want to chill, get out of my, face though right uh i'm now learning that man that those are things that often will give me this give me the fuel i need man to take on one more day and give me the fuel then to take on one more day and one more day and one more day and even that's exercise may not feel like exercising right like after a long day it's like i can't wait to run on treadmill for an hour right i want to lift heavy weights but those are things that lift you back up man and give you the fuel you need to make it through the next day man so yeah that's what i got that's all i got Man, I, I love that. And, um, you know, we're going we gonna to land yeah. here. But before we go, i like to give you your flowers because I don't think we do yeah. that enough with people that we respect, yeah. that we yeah. love, that we cherish on yeah. this earth. So I just want to tell you, like, I really do love yeah, you, brother. And I love the work that yeah. you do. It has so much meaning, so much purpose. I'm glad you are alive. And I'm glad that God pointed you into the direction to help other mm. people. And I'm happy for your family that they have you. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to continue to do incredible things on this journey that we call life. And I just want to be there to be able to witness it. And so I appreciate your time today. And I appreciate you as a black man in this world. Respect, respect. And for everybody, man, I appreciate you guys for listening. This is the B Podcast. Just interview Adrian Landon. Tune in next week for, for more. Thank you guys.